Amen. So we're going to continue on and we're going to start our session tonight with the conversion of probably one of the most influential men in the New Testament. And that is the conversion of Saul. Uh, and so we find Saul. Saul is, I think Saul sometimes we can look at Saul and we, we kind of get a negative impression of Saul. Okay, I'm talking about Saul. When we think of Saul, we have this negative idea of Saul. But Saul was, Saul was devout. Saul loved God. Saul was devoted to God. Saul believed God probably more than any of the disciples. He believed in God. He trusted God probably more than, I'd say, at least as much as the disciples. And he wasn't an evil person. He wasn't a, a bad person. But sometimes I think we believe that or we think that because his actions were negative to the church. And so the Word of God tells us in Philippians chapter 3, Verse 5 and 6, it says this about Saul. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, per persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, he was blameless. The Word of God says, as far as the, the, the Word of God says about Saul, measuring him, measuring him against the law, he was blameless. He, he had a relationship with God. And honestly, he had a great relationship with God. But it was Old Testament relationship. And now it's New Testament. And it's time for him to make that transition. And so uh, the Bible tells us that Paul, or Saul, was born of Tar in Tarsus, uh, in the city of Sicilia, or Sicily, or something like that. Uh, I can't even speak English, let alone, let alone uh, Italian or whatever. Uh, which was a Roman providence, so which it made him a Roman citizen, okay? He was born where he was born at. He was Hebrew. Remember, remember at that time, Rome occupied the free world. I don't know if that's the right way to say that because it definitely wasn't free. But Rome occupied most of the world, and, uh, and he was born into... Where he was born, he was born, which made him a Roman citizen. And so he was Jewish of the Hebrew faith, but he was also a Roman citizen. He was extremely smart, highly educated. The Bible, if you'll go back and read it, it says that he sat at the, at the feet of Gamaliel. Uh, Gamaliel, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I've always pronounced it that way. But the, seat of, uh, the feet of Gamaliel... Gamaliel was a great rabbi of that time, a doctor of the law. And, 
you know, kind of the way it worked back then is each, each of these great learned men, uh, such as, uh, uh, his, his name just left me, came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus, thank you. <laughs> Nicodemus was one of those uh, men, probably, uh, had a following of students. And so Gamaliel was one of those, and, and, and he was one of the uh, renowned educators of his day. And so <coughs> Saul was educated or taught the, the law, the word, by this man. So he was extremely smart. Uh, very well, and I'm saying this for a reason. This is going to make sense a little more, and I think it's something that sometimes we overlook in this conversion process. Uh, and so he understood the Word of God. And so because of all that, Saul believed that Christians were misguided and full of deception. That was, that's what he believed. He believed that they were coming against the law of God, against the word of God. And they were trying to tear down the faith that he so much loved and believed in. And so because of that, he began to persecute the church. <coughs> and he began to imprison and to bring people into a place of, of captivity. Uh, he, the Bible tells us he was full of zeal, but his cause was the wrong cause. And so the Bible tells us we know that, and, and Brother Breckenridge talked about this last week, I believe I heard him talking about it, uh, the, the death of Stephen. Uh, Saul was there. He was consented in consent to the storming of Stephen. Uh, he held the coat of the men that killed Stephen. Uh, most, I mean, I shouldn't say most, I, I should just speak for myself. I believe the Word of God kind of helps us see that perhaps that was one of the things that started Saul down this road of conversion. I believe he saw something in the man Stephen that, that made him look, made him look at the Word of God. Have you ever heard something? I remember, I, remember uh, I used to have these folks come to my house. They would knock on my house on a Saturday morning, and they usually carry this little magazine with them when they came by. And... Uh, they, they were just some really zealous people. And, and uh, so they had come by my house, and, and they came by the house one day, and they began to talk to me. And I said, come on in. Let, 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 let's talk. So they came in, they came in and, uh, and it was the second or third time, a couple weeks in a row, that they'd come by. You know, and I knew they were coming, so I, you know, I, I, I had a plan to discuss with them. You know, and so they came in, and I, I said, you know what? Let's not argue. Let's 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 look at the Word of God. And I was talking to them, and I was, you know, saying this and saying that, and and they read a verse from their Bible. 
And when they read this verse from their Bible, it made me stop and think. Because the way it read in their Bible and the way it read in the King James was not the same. And the implication of the way it was written in their Bible was it made me ask a question. And I forget the exact verse, but in the, in the verse, in the King James, it uses the pronoun he when it's talking about God in, in, uh, in the Bible that the Jehovah Witnesses use. It used the, uh, no, in the, in the Word of God, it, in the King James, it uses God. And in the uh, Jehovah Witness Bible, it used the word he. It didn't say God. And so by just changing the wording, it, it, it made the verse totally different. And so I said all that to say this. So it caused me to stop and, and ask a question. Is what I believe true? They made me, the, what they presented to me caused me, I want to know God. I want to know God. That's, I, I don't want to know the apostolic, I mean, I love the apostolic faith, okay? Don't get me wrong. And then, you know, Pentecost, whatever term you want to use, I, I don't want to love the UPC, I want to know God. I want to know that the word of God is true. And so they presented me with an argument that made me question what I believed. And so at that point, I have a choice to make. I can just keep believing what I believe just because I believe it, or I can examine the question. And so I chose to examine the question. So I went back to the original Greek. I went back to before the translators and looked at the scripture and made sure what I thought I knew, I knew. Okay, and that's what we have to do. And so that's what happened to Saul. When things began to happen in Saul's life where he had to question what he knew. And I think we see that in his conversion. And so uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 4 tells us this, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughtering against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any in this way, which they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. <coughs> Excuse me. And as he journeyed, uh, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? So Saul is struck down by this great bright light, knocks him to the ground, I've seen some bright light before, but I've never seen light that bright. Uh, but it was pretty bright. Uh, knocks him to the ground. He hears this voice from heaven thundering, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Uh, he's blinded by the light. 
And in Acts chapter 9, verse 5, Saul responds. He says, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So there's another, another one of the places where the, this conversion experience is, is uh, told. The, it says that, it specifically says that God spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue. I think that's very significant. Uh, and I don't have time to go into that, but first of all, I don't think anything is in the Bible by accident. So there's a reason they, that the Word of God says that Jesus spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue uh, because that honestly was not their everyday language. Their everyday language would have been Aramaic or, or Roman, whatever the Roman area was speaking. Hebrew was not their everyday language, amazing enough. And if you knew Hebrew and I knew Hebrew and I spoke to you in Hebrew, how would you respond to me? You would res respond to me how? Would you respond to me in English? You would respond to me in Hebrew. Okay, if, if uh, I were to ask Sister Paz a question in Spanish, that's never going to happen. But if I were to ask her a question in Spanish, she would likely respond to me in Spanish because I don't speak Spanish because I'm too lazy to learn Spanish. And uh, that's another conversation for another day. But it's important because when he said, Saul, when he says, who art thou, Lord? That whole conversation was in Hebrew. So we won't go into what probably was said. But the thing that, that is important here, what we see, and I think what we overlook as Christians in this whole conversion, he asks him a very pointed question. And most of the time, I think most of us skip right over it because it doesn't make any sense unless you think about it. So what does Jesus ask him? Jesus says to him, he says, Lord, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So what he's referring to, what Jesus is saying to him, what Jesus is talking about is that when in those days they had oxens or donkeys or burden-bearing animals of some sort. And when that burden-bearing animal would not do what it was supposed to do, the one that was leading it, driving the cart, had an ox goad, or goad with a pointed stick, and he would poke the oxen and their hinder parts to get them moving. And they had a tendency to get upset about getting poked, and they would kick. And you would have this little thing back and forth, the poking and the kicking, the poking and the kicking. Finally, the ox realized, I need to go because I'm just going to keep getting poked, and the kicking's not doing any good. 
So what does that mean? That means that there were some things going on in Saul's life. There was some poking going on. We don't see all of that. We don't, we don't know what all was going on in the life of Saul. But God had been working on Saul. I believe Stephen was one of those things. There were some other things that were going on in Saul's life. And why is that important? Because we don't know what's going on in other people's lives. Saul loved God. He just didn't know God to the extent that God was now revealing himself. And we come to people in our everyday walk with God. They love God. Brother Bray was raised a Catholic. I know some Catholic folks that they, they pray more than a whole lot of apostolics. I'm just going to tell you the truth. And they believe that God hears their prayers. And I'm not going to say God doesn't hear their prayers. Because we're going to talk about a guy in a few minutes, a guy by the name of Cornelius. So there's some folks, you can brand them any way you want to brand them. They love God. And as much as they know God, that's where they are. And God starts poking them with the gourd. God starts poking them. God starts causing them to question what they believe. And then we get brought into their lives. And we get... How we help them through that process is important. So, so I, I always found it, to be honest with you, for many years, I brushed over that verse, and I always thought, man, that, that conversion of Saul, just like, I'm going to go kill some Christians, riding down the road, trot, 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 bright light, oh, I love you, Jesus, I'm going to now follow you. That never made a whole lot of sense to me, Okay. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me. I know, I mean, God works greatly in people's lives, but, you know, how do you go from great persecutor to I'm going to follow Jesus by a bright light experience? I was never man enough or brave enough to say to whoever was teaching, that don't make a whole lot of sense. But it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But it's because I didn't pay attention to the Bible enough because it tells you, if you look, that Jesus had been poking Saul. And finally he says, Saul, it's hard for you to... You know what he was really saying to Saul? You can hear me now or you can hear me later, but I'm just going to keep poking. <laughs> that's what he was saying. And thank God that's what he does in your life and my life. He just keeps poking. You can learn it now or you can learn it later, but I'm just going to keep poking because I love you. You love me, Saul, so I want to bring you to where you need to be. And thank God he still does that. And so uh, he tells Saul, okay, get up, get some help, and go down to uh, the city, and I want you to look up this guy by the name of Ananias, and Ananias is going to help you out. He's going to show you what you got to do. 
He doesn't even tell him what he had to do. He just says, get up, go find Ananias, and Ananias will hook you up. And so God, being the wonderful God that he is, he goes and has a conversation with Ananias. Hey, uh, buddy, Ananias, I, I, I need you to do me a favor. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Let me make sure this is the right one. All right, did I miss it? Uh, Acts 19, 15. But the Lord said to him, go thy way, for he is chosen. Okay, yeah, so God's talking to Ananias. Says, Lord, and the Lord said, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, putting his hands on him. And brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, had appeared unto thee in the way. And thou camest, hath, he hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes, uh, the scales fell from his eyes that had been, or fell from his eyes that had been scales, and he received his sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. So God tells Ananias, I need you to pray for Saul. And Ananias says, Lord, you've lost your mind. Are we talking about the same Saul? The Saul that's been killing Christians. The Saul that's been throwing people in jail. The Saul that's been causing everybody all this grief. Are we talking about that Saul? Yes, we are. And you want me to do what to him? You want me to smack him in the head? You want me to lay hands on him suddenly, Lord? That's what you, that's what you want me to do. No, I want you to pray for him. You want me to pray for him? Yes. And, you know, if I'd have been Ananias, Lord, you said he's blind? That's where he ought to stay. Blind's good, because he won't see me when I leave, and he won't be able to find me after I'm gone. But the Lord is, was gracious, and he told them, here's what's going to happen. Go ahead and do it. And so, so Ananias believes God, you know, and like Brother Bray said, he might have been one of those, those people. I was just a youngster, and, uh, but, but there's some folks God might say to us, Talk to that person. Pray for that person. And we're like, uh, God, that person doesn't even know there is a God. But God, God knows who, when, and where. Amen? Amen. And so uh, he prays for him. He receives his sight. He gets the Holy Ghost. He gets baptized. And verse 21 of that same chapter, Acts chapter 9 but all that heard him were amazed and said, because what happens? And this is the crazy thing. Saul, Saul, because this is, this is what new converts do. Saul is over here today persecuting Christians. And he was vocal about how crazy and bad Christians were. Okay? He gets blinded. He gets prayed for. He gets baptized, he gets the Holy Ghost, and the next day he's right back up in the synagogue. 
Now he's preaching a new message. He's preaching that Christians are cool. He's preaching, he's preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. He's preaching that God came robed in flesh and people are scratching their heads. What happened? Who is this guy and what did you do with Saul? They, they couldn't believe that they didn't know what to do with him. They're, they're, this, is, this is what the verse says. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem and came hither for the intent that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? There were some folks that said, Trick me once, shame on you. Trick me twice, and you ain't tricking Jim. No, no, I don't believe, I don't believe this is real. And so they had to sit back and kind of watch Saul. They, they, they didn't trust him. They didn't, they did, they thought he was trying to trick them. But he didn't care. He just started preaching Jesus. And so he left there and he goes back to Jerusalem. And when he gets back to Jerusalem, they're really not sure what to do with him. Acts chapter 9, verse 26 and 28 says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, <coughs> excuse me, he essayed uh, to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. They're like, yeah, we weren't there, so we, we, you're going to have to let us see this. But Barnabas took him in and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord and the way that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. You know... There would not have been a Saul, or who we later, he later is called Paul. And I just have to throw this out there because it's one of my pet peeves. God did not change his name. You know, people like to preach that God changed his name from Saul. No, he didn't. His name is Saul. He was called Paul. For, by the Gentiles or in his ministry to the Gentiles, but we know him as Paul. Uh, so there would not have been a Paul if there had not been a Barnabas. That whole conversion story, that whole life-changing thing, that happened. But there had to be someone that believed in him. There had to be someone that believed, not just believed in him, but believed in what God could do in his life. How many people come into our midst that need a Barnabas? Their lives have been a wreck. Their lives are a wreck. They have this great experience with God. And they need somebody to trust in, not, not trust in them. Barnabas wasn't trusting in Saul. Barnabas was trusting in the converting power of God. 
Barnabas was trusting in the truth of Christ. And he had seen what Christ had done in his life. We've got, we got to trust in God's converting power, redeeming power in the lives of new converts. It's up to us to help them get to a place where they believe in themselves. Because how much of a struggle it must have been. We don't see it, but put yourself in Saul's place. He shows up in church church okay shows up in church and here's all these people that have family members that he threw in jail maybe he got killed that 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 had to be a rough conversion but Barnabas was there to take him through that and to help him once Saul the exciting thing though is God used who Saul was. Remember, we talked about his pedigree. We talked about his education. We talked about his learnedness. He knew the word of God. Now he knows Christ, and now he can take all of that, all of that stuff that he knew because here's the truth. You can know the word of God, book, chapter, verse, Without the revelation of the Spirit, you don't know the Word of God. It takes God, I mean, there were, I grew up, I got the Holy Ghost when I was 14. I, I grew up in a, in a, in a little church. They, they preached, I grew up in old time Pentecost, okay? So, <clears throat> everything was a sin. And... Uh, every, every, every church service, at least once a week, oneness was preached. So I heard oneness, and I believed it. I believed there was one God. I believed that you needed the Holy Ghost. I believed all of that stuff, but I had no idea why I believed it, and I had no idea what it meant. I believe there was one God, but I had no clue how the Son could talk to the Father and then be the same. That just didn't make no sense to my little 14-year-old brain. But the preacher told me it was true, so I believed it. And the only reason I believed it because the preacher told me it was true. Without revelation, without the Spirit of God helping me to know the Word of God, I could not understand revelation. So Saul knew the Word of God, but now he's got the Holy Ghost. And God just, the, the now, thankfully, because we have the New Testament because of who he was before that revelation. Okay, I know, I know the Word of God. I know the Bible is a divinely inspired word. Anybody could have heard the voice of God and wrote what God said right, but not anyone did. Saul did, okay? That's who God used, okay? And God, Saul wrote what he wrote because he, yes, it was divinely inspired of God, but it still was Saul. The word was in him, okay? That's my point. 
now after this experience, now that he believed that Christ was the Messiah, he now could see it in the scripture. Before, he couldn't see it. But now that the dots were connected, he was like, oh, there, there, there. Now he could begin to reveal it because he understood the word and he had the revelation of what the word was. And so we cannot just take for granted that we know the word of God because it comes from the desk up here. We've got to come to the place where we ask God. We let God reveal his word to us personally. That we allow the spirit of God to just make the word of God become alive to us. Because when it becomes alive to us, we see we can be Saul. We can, we can have that same kind of relationship. We can we could be that missionary to, to our world. He wasn't a greater man. He wasn't a, 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 a uh, had a better relationship with God. It wasn't that he was, but, but he allowed his hunger for the word and then the spirit to allow all of that to come together. Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, we have a tendency in the church today to be very much one way or the other. You find Christians, I'll use that term very loosely, you find, and this is why I won't finish my notes, we find Christians that are either very much word, 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 and very little spirit. Or you get the ones on the other side of the aisle. Oh, they're all spirit. Spirit, spirit, spirit. But they ain't got no word. And neither one of them are real profitable. I'm just going to tell you, neither one of them are real profitable. These over here usually kill. And these over here, just everything's okay. We've got to come to that place where we have the word and we let the spirit take that word and make it profitable in our lives. And that's why he became one of the greatest apostles, if not the greatest apostle, in the New Testament. And so we we have the New Testament because of that. So uh, here's, here's here's a crazy idea for you. Saul, before his transformation, was in the will of God. I said, Saul, before his transformation, was in the will of God. He was persecuting Christians. But his persecution of Christians was in the will of God. And I say that for this reason, because Brother Bray talked about it. He talked about the last things that Jesus did before he left this earth, and one of those was the Great Commission. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And the, they were sent out. I mean, he told them to go out, and they went, they got the Holy Ghost, and they they were in Jerusalem, and they were in Jerusalem, and they were in Jerusalem, 
<laughs> they were in Jerusalem. And God said, oh, you like Jerusalem. That's not, I didn't tell you to save Jerusalem. I told you to preach to the world. Let me get Saul busy. Let me get Saul going. So this, this is what, uh, so the word of God tells us that, uh, that while this persecution was going on, that the, uh, that the church was scattered because of the persecution. And, and we read about Peter and him going down and preaching in uh, Joppa and Lydia, Acts chapter 9. I won't go into that for the time. And because of that persecution, uh, the church was scattered. And now Peter and the other disciples are having to go other places to preach because the church is being scattered. And so... Uh, the last thing I'm, pro I'm going to talk about, and then there's plenty of other notes. You can go back and look at those uh, in, your, in, your, uh, in your notes, is, is Cornelius. I think Cornelius or the conversion of Cornelius is one of the pivotal points in the church, in church history. This, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about church history. And I think the, the, the conversion or the, the turn of, of converting of Cornelius is kind of that turning point where we see God changing. I don't want to say it the wrong way because it makes it sound like God's changing what he wants to do. But let me say it this way, where we see God changing his focus. If you go back to the Old Testament, we see God, that his focus was on Abraham. And then that focus became bigger and became on the family of Israel. Then that focus became bigger and it became upon the family of Israel, became the nation of Israel. So you see that that focus becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And so we see that focus become bigger in Cornelius. And so Cornelius is a, is a Roman captain. And uh, the book makes a statement that I don't, I understand what, I thought I went dead there for a second. My ears probably just turned off for a moment. They do that. Boop. Uh, the, the, the book talks about Cornelius being a model Christian, but he wasn't a Christian. I don't believe at this point uh, I'm not even sure if Cornelius was following the Jewish faith, okay? But Cornelius had faith in the one true God. We do know that, okay? And he was a devout man. He loved God. He gave alms. He prayed. And his, his sacrifice or his, his commitment to God got God's attention. And so God says, I'm going to do more in Cornelius' life. Again, we find people, God's going to bring those Corneliuses in our lives, okay? Hopefully we don't have to have the, the dream that Peter had, you know, 
That dream that Peter had is kind of, kind of a negative. We we we. It's a great vision, but the fact that God had to do that speaks a lot about Peter's mindset. He 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 hadn't quite gotten to where he needed to be, so God had to help him get there. So Peter has this great vision. God lets down, you know the story, lets down three times. He was hungry, lets down a sheet. A sheet. It's got all these animals in it that he couldn't eat. God said, kill and eat. That doesn't mean God tells us to break the word of God. I don't have time to go into that, but he says, kill and eat. And he says, I can't kill that. I can't eat that. That's unclean. God's just kind of priming the pump. Hear what I'm telling you, Peter. Don't call what I call clean. Don't call it common. What I call acceptable, don't call it unacceptable. Three times he tells him this. And about that time, someone's knocking at the door. And he says, go down. I've sent some guys to you from Joppa. Go with them to this guy named Cornelius' house. Well, Cornelius had had a dream prior to that. God had visited to him and said, Cornelius, your faith, your, your, your faith has come up as a memorial. I've got something I want to do in your life. I'm going to send somebody to your house. I remember the very first Bible study I taught. Uh, I was scared to death. Uh, we were out knocking doors. And all of you great spiritual people that, that uh, I don't mind knocking doors so much now, but I was a young Christian then, and I hated knocking doors. I was scared to death. And so I was out knocking doors, and we were doing surveys, asking people questions about God. And the whole intention of the survey was to try to get a Bible study. So I knocked on this lady's door. Her name was uh, Patricia Smith. I knocked on her door and did this survey. And I got to the end of the survey, and I, and I uh, was asking her about a Bible study. And this is what she said to me. I'll never forget it. She said to me, just yesterday, I prayed and asked God to send somebody to me to tell me what I needed to do. Just the day before, she had prayed. She'd been talking to God. She didn't have no relationship with God. She didn't know God. She didn't, but she was praying. God sent someone to talk to me. And here's this scared-to-death guy. I was, what, 21, I guess. We had just had our first child, and uh, Patty had just had a baby. Uh, we had just had our first child. And so I'm scared to death. I knock on her door, and she said, just yesterday, God, I asked God to send someone to me. And she got stuck with Jim, poor lady, because I had no clue as to what I was doing. But I, I, with my wife and I, we went there, and we started teaching her a Bible study. And uh, we taught her a Bible study, and her husband came home dressed like Darth Vader, about this tall, this wide. Many of you know him. He, we affectionately call him Big John. He's now a preacher down in Mechanicsville, John Smith. And uh, he scared me to death had this deep, raspy voice, and he said, who are you, and what are you doing in my house? I'm nobody. I'm leaving now. 
<laughs> I'm teaching your wife a Bible study. You want to join us? No. And, uh, but my point is, God was talking to her, and then he, talked, then he sent me to her door, just like Cornelius. He showed up at Cornelius' house, and he said, Cornelius, you love me, and I love you, and I've got something I want to do in your life, and I'm going to send someone to you. Why is all of that in the Bible? Let's just, we're, we're, we're talking about church history, but what, what, what good is church history if we don't allow it? It's, it's not there just for history. It's there to show us this is what God does. This is how he works. And there's some Corneliuses that are in your life. There's some Sauls in this room. There's some Sauls out there. And God just, he showed us how he works and wants us to keep letting him work that way. Amen. Let's stand. There's plenty of other things that I could go into in the notes and... Uh, I probably, Brother Breckenridge would have finished those. <clears throat> I encourage you to go back and go look at uh, chapter 7 and 8 in your books. Kind of pick up the last part of that. One thing that is important kind of near the end of chapter 8, and that, that didn't come out right. All of it's important. I didn't mean it to sound like some was important and some was not. Uh, there's a place in there it talks about, in your book, it, call, it talks about general conference in Jerusalem. So there was some conflict in, in how people should live in, uh, and, you know, should they follow the Old Testament law and, and that. And, and we see how God works through the lives of people. And it's, it's a pretty interesting part of, of that in your lesson, I would encourage you to go back and kind of look at that. Amen. So uh, we're going to pray and be dismissed. Before I pray, uh, we have back to school revival starting tomorrow. They've got to do some setup uh, for that still tonight. So uh, we're going to kind of need to leave pretty quickly. Uh, so we're going to pray. You're welcome to fellowship out in the foyer, uh, under the, might still be raining outside, uh, but they do need to do some stuff in the sanctuary, so they've asked us to kind of head out kind of quickly. Amen? And I wanted to say that while I had your attention. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for your mercy and grace today. Lord, I'm so thankful for what this lesson, this, this series of lessons that we call church history. I, I'm thankful for the Word of God, and there is some historical value to it, and, and I don't want to take away from that. But, but God, I, I don't want it just to be history. I want it to be an example to me of how you work and what you do and how you want us to... It's there not just for our edification or not just for our education, but those things are in the Word of God so that we can see your pattern and your pathway and your, the way that you reach and touch lives of people. And what we see there, we should expect to see in our world today. How you worked in the lives of Saul and Cornelius and Peter and, and all of those other 
great things that we see in the book of Acts. We, we should still see that, that interaction today. We should expect you to work the same way. And Lord, if I'm not seeing that in my life, it should challenge me to, to not ask where are you, but to ask of myself, where am I? Why am I not where I need to be or seeing what I want to see? Not question you, but question myself. Not negative, but just as something to help me grow, God. And Lord, so I would ask that you would let this lesson, this series of lessons, be an inspiration to the hearer to look for more, to search for more, to dig for more, to apply the word of God in a greater way to our lives. We thank you for your word. I ask you to go with your people. Keep your hand upon them, your protection. I lose your mercy and your blessings on every family. In the name of Jesus, and the church said amen.